0: Welcome to Honest Talk about heartbreak, dating, and relationships. Relationships. The podcast helping you navigate your path to happy ever after with your host, Rob McPhillips from RelationshipGPSProject.com.
1: So the question is How are people like us who didn't grow up being taught how to have an authentic relationship or have any great relationship role models? who are facing the usual challenges and stresses of work and life? How do we get over breakups, get into authentic relationships, and maintain love and connection with all of the challenges of the modern world without losing our identity or sanity? That is the question, and my quest is to give you the answers. So I'm really curious about how... how um... Like, how did you come to that? What was your, what was your journey to?
0: So I grew up in a home that was really um, confused about sexuality. Um, More than confused. um, My father was pretty abusive. Um, He was emotionally abusive and he was really inappropriate with me sexually. Um, Talking to me sexually about my body talking to me about the sex that he and my mother were having or not having, um, speaking to other women sexually in front of me. And it all left me really, really confused and um, feeling like sex was um, just really scary. And so I sort of just didn't partake in it, you know, like, I was really curious about it. But I was 25 before the first time I had sex. Um, And it was, it was scary. It was, I didn't feel a lot, what I did feel was not pleasant. Um, And I chose partners because I had been abused. Um, I didn't really know that I was allowed to have anything more than that. So I chose abusive partners um it wasn't until i hit my early 40s that i thought there's got to be more than this there there has to be i hear all these other women talking about pleasure and ecstasy and all this amazing stuff and i'm not having any of that there has to be something that i'm missing um I was afraid that what was missing was something inherent in me that I was just sort of broken. Um, but I chose to dive sort of being who I am when I decide that there's an issue, I dive right into the center of it and I sort of, you know, set a bomb. (laughs) And, and, uh, and that's what I did. I, I dove right into the center and I, um, started, um, pushing myself to have a lot of experiences and to really challenge my own thoughts about my body. Um, because one of the other things my dad had done was tell me that I was fat and ugly and no one would ever love me. Um, I had to unwind a whole lot of messages around that. Um, so really putting myself in situations where I could allow people to see me and to be attracted to me, which I had never done before. I had just assumed it wasn't possible. So that's sort of how I got started on this. And then as I was sharing my personal experiences with my girlfriends, I found that they were completely fascinated by what, was, by what I was doing. To the point that they were like coming to me and saying, tell us more, tell us more. Um, and that's when I decided that maybe this was of, of enough interest um, to share it publicly, which is why I started my podcast, Good Girls Talk About Sex. Um, because I, as I was sharing my stories, what I experienced was that my friends were telling me their stories in return. And so I decided to start recording other women telling their stories. And that's, that's how my podcast came to be. And it's pretty much my favorite thing in the whole world is talking to women about their sexual histories. It's so much fun. Um, So yeah, I get to do something I really love.
1: I'm always really interested when I meet someone who's really doing something that they're passionate about and something that they're um, clearly meant for. What is the thing that most excites you and most fascinates you about this?
0: Mm, That's such a great question. Um, So like I said, I like I was afraid of sex, but I was also completely fascinated by it. Um, I, you know, I sort of was the girl who found smutty novels and hid them under my bed so that I could read them under the covers at night. Um, and I, I was constantly searching for information and for um For sort of this experience of turn on, even though I wasn't experiencing it with my partners, I, I was seeking out opportunities to experience turn on through other means. So even through this period where I was not experiencing any pleasure. I was still fascinated by it. Um, And so when the opportunity appeared to start actually having these conversations out loud, and I discovered how, the, really, that I wasn't the only one, that so many other women were also completely fascinated, but really nervous to talk about it. that's That was really what has fueled me, is this idea that these are conversations we all want to be having, but people are so scared to have them that I want to create a safe space to be having them.
1: Yeah. I I think that's, that's really important. I think there's so much, I think what we, what we're unaware of or what we keep hidden is what controls us.
0: Sure. Absolutely. um,
1: And sexuality, I think particularly for women is is so, so much an area of shame um, and social conditioning and, um, that is very difficult for people to be honest about. So, um, so it's really about, so I'm, I'm trying to think, so when I like to learn something, I like to learn, um, who, from the person, you know, understand, if I understand their motives and I understand how they work and why it's important to them, I, I find I'm able to learn much quicker. So for you, it's about letting people like overcoming that shit because you overcame this journey of kind of shame and pain um and then this whole world opened up once you let yourself get over that um and that's really what you're trying to do for other people
0: Yeah. And I want to be super clear that it's not like I am in some sort of enlightened, totally healed place, you know, like I'm a couple years into this journey. I have learned a lot. I have healed a ton and there's always more to do, you know, Mm -hmm. like I don't want anybody to look at me and be like, oh, she has it figured out because that's simply not true. Um, But But I do look at myself and say, okay, so I've had this time, this experience. I've gone through all of these wild and crazy uh, things that I've put myself into. I mean, I went to, I I traveled by myself to a sex resort in Jamaica for a week because I wanted to push myself to have a really out of the box experience. So I've done a lot of really big, scary things. Um, And like I said, there's always more to do. And I think it's super important that, um, yeah, that other women hear that these things are possible. You know, I'm, what I want to do is talk to women and and I'm uncomfortable with making broad sweeping generalizations about gender because so much of that, you know, we've, we're learning so much more now and and there's so much new language about it. Um, but to make a broad sweeping generalization, um, I want to talk to women who are where I was a few years ago, who are not having the kind of pleasure that they want to be having, who are feeling dissatisfied in their sexual experiences, whether that's with a long-term partner or, um, with, you know, potential sexual partners, And who are afraid that something that, uh, that the reason that they're not having the experiences they want to have is because there's something really wrong with them, that they're, either physically broken or emotionally or mentally broken or their desires are too deviant or maybe their desires aren't deviant enough. You know, like we have all of these stories about why we're wrong. And what I really want to do is um, highlight lots of different stories so that women can hear themselves reflected back to themselves and know that they're not alone. And the other thing is that I'm I'm hearing more and more from men who are listening to these podcasts and saying, this is so helpful because I'm starting to finally understand some of the things that my partner has been saying to me for years. and And I just I had no context for it like i didn't understand what questions to ask and now i'm hearing somebody else tell their story and it helps me to sort of put a context onto it so i think it's really helpful for developing that conversation as well
1: definitely i i um so i i can see a lot of parallels in in the kind of work that i'm doing as well because um so many people don't really they have a, an idea of a relationship, like the fairy tale idea that the, um, the, the you know, if the princess is beautiful enough, the prince will come sweeping in. <laughs> um, and, and it, which is, a, which is kind of what fairy tales amount to. And if the prince, um, manages to keep the princess safe and, uh, provide and make her happy, then they just live happy, happily ever after
0: happily ever after which is the biggest load of bunk there ever was (laughs) um
1: which is really when where the relationship begins right um and and there's all these hidden stories and hidden beliefs and and things that people never talk about and if they just got them out and were able to like hold them up to logic you'd see that there's there's no validity in it yeah so um and there's such a mismatch uh mismatch between what, the way that men see relationships and the way that women see relationships.
0: How do you mean that?
1: Okay, so, um, so I have a men's group, um, and, and men are different in how they'll talk in front of women, and how they'll talk without women.
0: Sure.
1: And um, so the discussion in, in from men is that if you give a woman everything she'll lose respect for you and she'll then want to move on to the next thing. She'll be bored. Mm. Um, and there's a bit of a treat them mean, keep them keen idea. Um, and, and it's kind of, kind of just general bafflement of women. Um, and whereas women are, women are just like, why are they playing these games? Why do they do this? Why do they do this? Um, and so, and I think there's a misunderstanding. I think there's, um, for example, there's some research that given the choice, men would choose, uh, given the choice, would you rather be unloved and alone, or would you rather be disrespected than inade- inadequate, inadequate? Mm. Wow. And men would always choose, uh, 74% of men would choose to be, um, they'd rather be alone and unloved than disrespected and feel inadequate. Uh, whereas women, it's the other way around. It's about a similar number would choose to be disrespected and inadequate rather than
0: oh.
1: alone and unloved. So there seems to be um, where women are, are looking for connection and, and they're looking for the men to open up and they're looking to try and get out the real what, what you know what's the real core of what the man wants. And the man's like, "Don't say the wrong thing. Don't say the wrong thing." You know, and it's kind of like, yeah. I, don't want to, "I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk. I'm scared." And men can't deal with the emotions and. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of confusion.
0: Sure. So, you know, what I have discovered, one of the, the thing that I really focus on, I'm coaching, um, women and couples in sexual communication. And one of the things that I have discovered in developing my own communication skills is that, um, and I let me say that I am bisexual. So I've had uh, experiences and relationships with both men and women. They are very different. I mean, my con- connection and my communication patterns with my male partners has been very different than my connection and communication patterns with female partners. Um, so if I'm talking about my male partners, when I Open up a conversation with a male partner and I'm willing to put all of my cards on the table about, you know, and this is specifically about sex, what I want, what I don't want, uh, what excites me, what I need in order to feel safe. My experience has been that men are so grateful that that conversation has been opened up. It's not that they don't want to have it. It's that Hmm. they have no, either they have no idea that they're allowed to have it, which is also true for women, or that um, they just don't know how. And so part of my work um, is to teach people how to have that conversation because it's so, it, it helps everybody to get what they want when it comes to sex. Um, And I think there's so much fear that, oh, if we start to have that conversation, the other person won't like me, they'll think that I'm crass, or they won't like what I'm into, and so they'll reject me. So we might as well just go ahead and do it, and we'll figure it out as we go. Hmm. Whereas if we actually have the conversation in advance, we might actually, if we have the opportunity to say, hey, here's what I really like, we have the opportunity to actually get that from our partner. We also have the opportunity to say, Hey, here's something I'm really not into. And because our partner knows that in advance, they don't try it in the bedroom and then feel rejected when we say, Ooh, that's, I I don't want to go there. Having had that communication in advance helps to forestall some hurt feelings.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think timing is really important with that Mm -hmm. um, because the fact that you've had the conversation up front means like you say that, that, um, it's not like feeling rejected or feeling not good enough. Whereas if you have the conversation after, then people are maybe like have felt rejected and they're coming from a sensitive place and then, and then there's all kinds of problems. So, so yeah. um,
0: Exactly. And I can give an example of that. Um, if you'd like. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So to help people understand what this might look like. Um, And I'm going to use a, (laughs) I'll use a couple of real terms, but I won't be too graphic about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, um, you know, I, in my earlier life had taken in this message very clearly that if you perform oral sex on a man and he ejaculates, then you have to swallow because if you, if you don't swallow, it means you don't love him. Uh, you know, if you love him, you swallow. That is sort of the message that women get. And so I have just a physical reflex um, that I just, I I can't do it. I cannot swallow. And so what that meant was that I avoided having oral sex with my male partners. Um, And I know that I had male partners who were really disappointed about that um, and resented the fact that I wouldn't do it, but I didn't know how to not do it and not, you know, it just, it was this big mess in my head. And then at some point during my period of exploration, I heard another woman say, Um, I choose to not allow men to ejaculate in my mouth or on my face. And I lost my ever-loving mind. I was like, wait a minute, we're allowed to say that? What? And so then I started having that conversation with male partners like you said, before we get into the bedroom, this is a conversation that happens with the clothes still on while we're talking about like, here are the things I like, here's what I don't like. And I, I have said to multiple male partners, here is my boundary. I enjoy giving oral sex, but um, my boundary is that I, I would prefer that you not ejaculate in my mouth or on my face. I have never once had a male partner give me a negative response to that. And what happens, the the alternate is that if we were in the bedroom, having not had that conversation, either I would just, I would just refuse to do it, which leads to hurt and resentment, Hmm. or I would take them to the point of almost completion and then back away at which point they're left with all these questions do i smell bad do i taste bad you know like yeah. if that opens up a whole can of worms whereas i have completely cut all of that off at the head by having the conversation in advance
1: yeah that definitely seems um the best way to go so but really i mean what we're talking about with whether we're talking about sex or we're talking about relationships or whatever essentially what it boils down to is the underlying things under that. So I'm guessing that you find most of the problems are more in sense of shame and in in the emotional ability to do that. Um, So in your experience, what what are the barriers that people have to to being able to be open and, and discuss what they want?
0: Yeah. So like you just identified, shame is probably the biggest barrier. Um, We, and again, I work primarily with females. So I'm going to talk about it because I'm not male. (laughs) I'm going to talk about it from the female point of view. Um, We were brought up to, you know, in general, broad sweeping generalization, we were brought up to be pretty, to, you know, put on the dress and not get it dirty, <laughs> to um, do whatever the people around, uh, what made the people around us happy, to be a nurturer, like all of these things, um, none of them were particularly geared toward us figuring out exactly who we were and what we wanted. So as the, as those desires come up within us, as we You know, we become teenagers and adults, and and these things are welling up within us. We have no context for saying, "Oh, this is something that I really desire, and that's okay." All we know is, "Oh, my friends don't talk about this. I definitely couldn't talk about this with my mother." You know, like there's all of this shame around. This looks different than anything I see in the movies, um, or on TV, and. Plus, you know, at a whole other level, on top of that, for any woman who has experienced assault or trauma, and frankly, that is the vast majority of women have uh, have experienced some type of assault or trauma. Um, and so working, uh, and again, like, here's a personal story. I was in a communication class, learning how to have these conversations And um, we were, we were doing it in small groups. And um, one of the things they wanted us to talk about was our, our personal turn-ons. And in my small group, the, the small group leader turned to me and said, Leah, what about you? And I started bawling. I, I was crying so hard I couldn't speak because A... I had no idea what my turn ons were. I'm, you know, at the time I was 42 years old and I had no idea what my turn ons were because no one had ever asked me to think about it. It had never occurred to me to ask myself to think about it. And second, I was being asked to actually give voice to them, to speak them out loud. And that brought up such massive shame at the idea that I might actually have some desires and I was supposed to use my voice to speak them out loud when I had always been told that this was stuff that was never to be spoken. So so the the two things that I come that I deal most with are shame, you know, working through layers of shame around what our desires are and then actually acknowledging that we might have desires and then identifying what they actually are. Once we've identified what they are, then there's the, the process of learning how to speak them and advocate them, advocate for them. But I think that the, that third step becomes a lot easier once the first two steps have been addressed.
1: Yeah. I, I always think that every war starts inside Um, and it's it's first you know every argument whatever begins inside yourself because there's a part of you that also identifies with the other side and then there's that once you're congruent and you're clear about what you want to do and then it's easier you have more confidence in it and so you're able to express it
0: yeah I like that yeah
1: so um okay so so If we can talk about you, I know that you, you, you spend most of your podcast talking to other people, (laughs) but, um, I'm interested. So, okay. So 25 is the first time that you slept with someone. Yep. Um, and 42 was the time when you first had pleasure sexually. Yeah. Um, okay. So could you tell us a little bit about the journey of how did you go from, from that much shame, from that (laughs) much association of pain and fear and, and to have come through, um, to the other side
0: yeah absolutely um so i had the opportunity to in um 2017 i had the opportunity to take some time sort of out of quote-unquote real life and travel around the country Uh, i was doing a solo road trip around the country um I had no intention whatsoever, no idea that this might turn into a journey of sexual freedom. Um, That came as a complete surprise to me. And um, I'm kind of glad that I didn't know that in advance because I probably would have stayed home (laughs) and thinking that I wasn't capable of Mm. going through it. But just before I left, and I was living in New Hampshire at the time, just before I left New Hampshire, I was having my final um, therapy session with my beloved therapist. And it was literally like the last 10 or 15 minutes of our last appointment And, and I think that this happened because I knew I wasn't going to see her again. And so suddenly there was like this little bit of safety to say something that I had been thinking about for years, but had never said aloud, which I turned to her and I said, so I don't really feel anything during sex. Can we work on that? Like, what is she going to say in 15 minutes? <laughs> but she, you know, to her, to her credit, she did not laugh me out of the room. She said, well, that's not my expertise, um, but you're about to go on this journey. And I bet that while you're on the road, as you're going through all these big cities and, and to lots of different places, you're going to have the opportunity to maybe, you know, keep an eye out for a sex therapist and talk to them, or maybe you'll have some other opportunity and, you know, take it. And really, that was what I needed. I needed the, you know, quote unquote, permission of somebody who I really respected and looked up to, to say to me, this is not crazy. This doesn't, you know, make you a deviant or a psychopath or, you know, you can still be a quote unquote good girl because that was something that was something that I really identified with. Um, You can still be a good girl and enjoy sex. Um, So while I was on the road, uh, the first thing that I did was when I got to New York City, I had heard about this concept of tantric massage um, and I thought that sounded really interesting because what I had read was that um, tantric massage, and I know a lot of people are not familiar with that term. It's um, it is a type of massage that is actually moving sexual energy. Um, And I had read that it can help women with abuse and trauma backgrounds to um, start to regain sensation to release old trauma, release old blockages. I read that and I was like, but that's exactly what I want. I need to try that. And so I found a woman in New York who, who did it, who I felt comfortable with. And I had a three hour session with her and that was the beginning of my journey because she, uh, you know, she did the session with me and she was, she was amazing. We did an hour long prior to me even getting to her uh, studio. um, She did an hour long phone intake with me where she took my sexual history. She really understood what it was that I was looking to heal. And she asked me a lot of questions about what I wanted to experience and how much I was willing to, to do. So she, like, she got really specific with me about, you know, are you okay with me touching your genitals? If so, here, are you okay with this kind of touch? Are you, she, like, she really talked to me through the whole thing and got my consent and my buy-in so that, I mean, I was nervous. I was really nervous, but, I was not surprised or scared by anything that she did. Um, And when we got to the end of the session, we sat down for a few minutes of, of chatting. And she said to me, you know, I have worked with hundreds of women. I know what this, the female sexual response looks like. And you have it, you are not broken. And I, Desperately needed to hear those words. You are not broken, and I needed to hear them from someone who knew what she was talking about, who had some training and had some knowledge it you know it's not enough to hear it from a sexual partner because first of all, our brain will tell us that, oh well, you know, they just they have to say that to us, but also that person has an investment in us feeling good about ourselves so that our sexual relationship will, you know, will be better. So um, hearing it from a sex partner is, is not going to break that belief if we believe that we're broken. I needed to hear it from someone who actually had some, some training and some goods in this field. Once I heard that, what she, and more specifically, what she said to me was, you're not broken. Your body is displaying all of the, you know, appropriate signs and signals at the appropriate times. And I can see that those pleasure signals are not reaching your brain. So there's nothing physically wrong with you, but there are still some emotional blocks that need to be worked through. And I left her, and I thought, okay, so I still have a lot more work to do, but at least I know the work is possible. Mm-hmm. And that was that was where I started um, seeking out. and And um, at the time that we're recording this, uh, a lot has changed in the last year in the online world around sex there's a lot more regulation um when i was doing this craigslist personals were still a thing and they have now been taken down but um i started putting up ads as i was traveling around the country and I was really safe about it. Like I had my whole safety protocol. But, you know, I, if I knew that I was going to be in Washington, D.C. for 10 days, I would put up an ad and say, here's exactly what I'm looking for. And um, sometimes that worked out and sometimes it didn't. But I had a whole bunch of really amazing experiences. And when I say amazing, that does not mean that they were all, you know, wonderful, <laughs> it, but it does mean that I learned a lot from all of them. Um, yeah, and I can talk more about some of the specifics, but yeah, <laughs> I'll li- I'll leave that to you to decide how much you want to hear.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's fine. I mean, my um, motivation with this podcast is to, to is to get out all the stuff that's hidden, and so people can talk openly. So it's it's you know, I put it explicit. So if you want to swear or whatever you want to <laughs> describe in however much detail you think is helpful, that's fine. Okay. Um, so, so it sounds like you kind of went through that process that you said, you worked through the shame, you worked through um, the like conditioning and feeling that you couldn't. And then you actually void. So I think the, 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 it sounds like you kind of got to that stage in the therapist's office where you were you able to ask for it, because before, obviously, um, in all the times that you've been before, you clearly you hadn't brought it up. So yeah. it's, it's kind of like, and then you got the permission, and then you got validation from someone that you could. But it's, I'm still thinking it's, it's, it's quite a jump from someone who's, and we haven't gone into your relationship history, but I, I'm, I'm getting what you have told us is that it, it was never that fulfilling. Um, you didn't feel anything. So it seems, um, quite a jump from the good girl. Um, the good girl, I'm guessing you were probably in relationships when you, were. I'm, 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 just reading between the lines so you can enlighten us, but, um, it seems like it's taken on a bit of a new identity to, to then, so you would then advertise and meet just someone for, for, um, just have sex or, Mm. and what kind of shift did you have to make from that?
0: That's a great question. Um, I think that for me, part of it was that I had, um, you know, I had walked away from everyone that I knew by going on this road trip, um, my a, a big part of this, honestly, for me is that my the reason that I went on this road trip was that my mom had passed away. She and I were very very close, and um, she was um, she was sort of my anchor. And when she passed away, I felt kind of adrift, and um, I had there were some family loyalty issues going on there that i i was not able to explore any of these things while she was still alive because it meant that i would have to really go into the heart of some of the abuse that i had experienced as a child um, not that I had ever hidden that, and she knew all of what had happened, but the, it was gonna—I was gonna have to deal with it in a new way. Um, and I don't think that I was ready or able to do that while she was still alive. That—that that it would have threatened something about uh, about me and her, and I just—I didn't want to do that. So. That was part of it. There was like a real fundamental shift in my life circumstances that allowed me to take this jump that I had never taken before. Um, and then the next piece of it was realizing that my conception of the good girl was really off that I thought that the good girl was obedient and acquiescent and didn't, didn't talk a lot and, you know, was just sort of there to be of service to everybody else. And a huge shift for me was realizing that my vision of the quote unquote good girl is really different from that. My, what I am taking from this is that it's, it's okay to enjoy sex. It's, it's a basic biological function that we are blessed to get pleasure from, and it's okay to take that pleasure. And also that um, my concept of a good girl now is someone who's kind and who's honest and who acts with integrity, and none of those things are impacted by what I do in the bedroom. So I get to be both. and. Um, Another thing that was really important to me was, you know, I, I said that my father told me that I was fat and ugly and no one would ever love me. And I believed him hook, line and sinker. I, anytime somebody did love me, I didn't believe them. I thought that they were, you know, just playing games with me or they were, um, you know, that they were using me for something because I didn't believe it was possible for someone to love me for me. And that I didn't think it was possible for anybody to be attracted to me. So part of this journey for me was putting myself in situations as basically showing up and saying, here I am, and allowing someone to be attracted to me. And allowing myself to really receive that because they had no reason you know so i uh, there's this amazing group here in portland oregon where i live now called sex positive portland and um once i joined this group and i started developing a, a core group of friends and some of whom i you know crossed that line with and and became sexual with. Um, and I heard the same things over and over and over from different people without prompting. You know, I love your curly hair. I love your breasts. I love that um, that you're so curvy. I love being able to grab your flesh. I mean, there's this idea that women are supposed to have a very particular body type and one of the things about it is that you're not supposed to have any extra, any extra, you know, any squish, any pudge. And what I heard over and over and over from people was, I love that you have extra that I can grab. As I heard that over and over from different people who had no real, like there was no need for them to Mm -hmm. say it. It began to permeate my brain and be like, oh, maybe they're actually telling me the truth. Maybe they're not just playing games with me or, you know, I I don't even know what, but maybe my father was wrong. That's really what it came down to. Maybe Mm. my father was crazy.
1: (laughs) Okay. So it's, so it's kind of like a step-by-step. So you've, you've had the value permission. That's okay. You've had validation. You've come to a time when you're able to explore that without, hurt your mum um and uh so so you've had the validation you've you you've now started to to develop the belief that you're attractive um you've uh redefined what a good girl means so that um because really i mean what does i mean we take um as a society uh morally we take sex to be more important to whether you know someone is kind or or, or nice to people or not. Um, okay, so what? Were, okay, so in your adventures, what was the next step? What was the next? So you, there, you felt it's okay. It's okay to like sex. I'm. I'm. I have. I have desire, and I and I have the physical ability to enjoy sex. I have. Um, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with it morally. I'm not going to hurt anyone by doing that. Um, So I've overcome that. So then it's kind of like, I guess, free reign. Yeah.
0: And, and um, for about a year, I, as I said, I had all of the fun with all of the people. (laughs) And, and I had lots of different kinds of fun. You know, I went places that I never thought I would it never in a million years would have imagined I would go. I went to sex parties, you know. I went to Jamaica to a sex resort. I I did all I had threesomes, I had group cuddles, I had all sorts of amazing experiences. And throughout this whole thing, um, I was really honest with everyone who I engaged with and said I am just having a lot of fun right now. I'm not You know, I'm not going to turn away a relationship if the right person shows up, but I'm not looking for a relationship. And that's another part of the communication that I think is really important before we engage sexually with someone is everybody being clear about what their hopes and expectations are. So that one person doesn't think, oh, this is a one night stand. And the other person is then devastated because they think, oh, this is, you know, my next relationship. So anyway, I was, I was honest with everyone about what I was doing. You know, maybe this is a one night thing. Maybe we play together on an ongoing basis, whatever. Um, but I want you to know that that I'm just doing what I do right now. And I'm, I'm not looking for a commitment from you. Um, As I was doing that, um, there were a a couple of people who I started seeing more often than anybody else. and this is a type of dating that's called ethical non-monogamy, where you are dating more than one person and everybody is honest with everybody else about what they're doing so that there aren't any mismatches and expectations. And importantly, everybody is really upfront about what their STI status is and if, if anything has happened that would change it so that you know that you are playing as safely as possible. Um, As I started to um, develop somewhat deeper relationships with two different people, um, I started to question, you know, what is my, now that I've had all this fun, now that I've had all these experiences, what do I really want? Do I want to continue playing in this free and open way? Do I want to develop multiple relationships in either, um, an open relationship style or a polyamorous style, or am I essentially a monogamous person who's just had a period of a lot of fun? And ultimately, um, what I decided for myself was that I am essentially a monogamous person who has been through a really great experience and, Um, I was able to look at those two relationships as they um, developed in parallel and realize that in one of them, I felt really unstable. Like I was always feeling like I was chasing her validation and her um, to tell me that I was okay. And in the other relationship, I felt really stable I felt like I really liked the person who I was with him. And so that period of dating multiple people at the same time allowed me to compare these two relationships and decide, oh, one of these is a lot better for me than the other one. And it had nothing to do with the gender of the other person. It had nothing to do with the life circumstances of the other person. It had everything to do with how I felt when I was with them. And so I eventually, um, you know, I I ended the other relationship and I went to him and I said, I you know i think i'm ready i think i would like to be monogamous um it took him a little while to get on board because he was used to me being you know all over the place and he's like well now i have to shift my thinking to catch up with you but um ultimately that's that's where we are now we've been in a monogamous relationship and um so now after having these this the way I think of it is that for quite a while, I had really broad experiences that that were limited in their depth, and now I have a really narrow experience with one person that is very deep. I'm getting to explore all of the things that I've learned, all of the um, you know the communication skills, the actual uh, allowing myself to be fully present to the sex. Um, all of that, I get to explore in a very, very deep way with one person. And right now, that is exactly where I want to be. That is exactly perfect for me in this moment. And and I've, I think that in the past, I was always really obsessed with what's this going to look like one year down the road or two years down the road or five years down the road. And now I'm much more focused on, okay, What do we need to do today to be our most present, fulfilled, and happy selves today? And we'll let tomorrow take care of itself.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you've 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 developed in a sense of self and security and kind of self esteem and all those kind of things, which then means that you're not. Whereas I think a lot of times with people in relationships, they're needing to know, you know, like you get people when they're dating and and the first couple of months someone's like I need to know is, is this is this serious is this gonna last yeah and nobody don't nobody does know you need to know the person before you can before you can work that out so so that's really interesting and I think uh, in most people's life there's a time when they have a uh you know like a, a wild sex spree like often after a divorce <laughs> or uh, sometimes maybe when they're young and and yeah I think it's um if you don't get out all the things that you're um, kind of desires and things like that, then you're going to, it's, you're going to then feel in a relationship, you feel like, Oh, you know, I'm never going to experience this. I'm never going, you know, I'm going to die without doing this. And and so I think that can be an extra pressure to relationships.
0: Sure. I mean, I remember in my earlier relationships, um, when I knew that I was attracted to women and I had never been with a woman and feeling like, oh my God, what if this man who I'm dating asks me for a long-term commitment? I can't do that without knowing what it's like to be with a woman. I just can't do that. Like Mm -hmm. it was imperative for me To know now that I've experienced it I know that I and this is um, this is a concept that is new to a lot of people what I've discovered about myself is that I am bisexual and hetero romantic which means that um, I am attracted sexually to both genders and my primary um, choice for a romantic commitment is with, uh, it's generally with men, it, it could sometimes mean um, with people of, you know, the across the gender spectrum who have va- very male energy, but that um, my primary desire for, um, for a deep relationship is with somebody who has very masculine energy.
1: And so what is it about the masculine energy that attracts you into a relationship, but it doesn't seem to be a difference sexually?
0: Um, So sexually, I just, I find bodies interesting. I find uh, it's not that I need both. It's that I'm attracted to either. Um, And that I think is a challenging concept for a lot of people that bisexual doesn't mean wishy-washy. It doesn't mean that you are, um, uh, yeah, it doesn't mean wishy-washy and you can't decide. It also doesn't mean that you're selfish and you want everything. It, it means that I am attracted to different kinds of bodies. I, I find them all interesting and enjoyable. Um, the question about why I'm attracted to male or masculine energy as a, as a partner, that's a little harder for me to quantify. I think there is simply, I, I have been a very sort of type A personality, a sort of like, we're gonna break down the walls, we're gonna do the things. Um, and it is nice for me in my romantic relationship, to be able to settle back into my more feminine energy. So, you know, out in the world, I have to sort of move with a more masculine energy. So in my personal life, I enjoy being with someone who can take that masculine role so that I can sort of, yeah, sink into Mm -hmm. my experience of being a feminine person.
1: Okay, that's interesting, because logically I, I would have thought that would have uh, made a difference sexually. Um, but also, one of the big uh, problems people have in relationships is that the, the world has changed for men. And so, you know, people of my generation grew up, and the man was the provider, the man was the lead, the man was the, um, the one with the career and all these kind of things. And now, um, the, the power is kind of shifting. There's more women taking a more, um, senior roles. Um, a lot of the traditional male roles are being eliminated. Um, and so there's this big struggle and it's a time when men are told that they need to be more in touch with their feelings. Um, and so men are, men are kind of lost and they're trying to be, um, emotionally sensitive and then the woman's telling them, well, you're just the a big girl and um, you know, I need I need someone with, you know, a strong man, real man. I wonder if you could shed some light on 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 what it what those masculine energy and qualities what they look like. Mm.
0: I, I think what you're bringing up is so, so important that we are in a time where things are shifting so rapidly it's hard to keep up. And um and everyone is being presented with, uh, with messages about who they're supposed to be that doesn't necessarily match with, how they have learned to be in the past. It, it's really confusing. And um, there's, you know, there is a subset of people out there who's like very, like, you need to catch up. You need to understand. You need to learn. You need to, you need to, you need to. And while I think all of those things are really important, I also have a lot of empathy for people um, who are just confused because this is so radically different from what we learned when we were growing up 20, 30, 40 years ago in a very different system. So um, first of all, I think that um, men in general, again, making grand sweeping gender um, generalizations, but Men learned that they were not supposed to have emotions, they were not supposed to need to ask questions, they were not supposed to do all these things. And now suddenly, that's like everything that they're supposed to do. And that's super confusing. And um, uh, so one of the things we need to do is, again, have conversations. When because also we have these really rigid gender gender roles where the man is supposed to take out the garbage and the woman is supposed to do the laundry and the man is supposed to do this and the woman is supposed to do this. Well, that doesn't necessarily fit how people actually live. So for instance, with my partner, um, he takes care of most of the food because he's good at it and I'm not. I, I am not the stereotypical female who learned how to cook and nurture through food. He did. And he also learned how to sew. I did not learn how to sew. So if there are things that need to be mended or repaired... He takes care of that. And that has no reflection whatsoever on his gender or his masculinity. That has everything to do with what works for us. And so, you know, as much as I think it's important to talk about what we want and don't want sexually, I also think it's incredibly important to have these conversations about our roles within the relationship and to be willing to step back from The stereotypical gender roles and say, here's what I actually enjoy. Here's what I like doing. And here are some things that I hate. And if you enjoy doing the things that I hate, booyah, that's awesome. And if there are things we both enjoy, then we can share the responsibility or we can do them together. And if there's something that we both hate, then we figure out you know, a way to share that as well so it gets done even though it's nobody's favorite. And in that way, we start to create a relationship that actually works for us as opposed to us working for our gender roles or working against our gender whatever it's all such a mess it just it doesn't make any sense because it's it's all about what we think we're supposed to do what we should do as opposed to what is actually natural to our inherent personality and I am all about people figuring out what's going to work for them and then figuring out how to make that happen
1: hmm, definitely um okay uh so Oh, yeah. I, I, I know I've I got a few questions there lined up to, to, that I want to go back to. But the the, the the other one I wanted to talk about, we talked about how women are shamed through sexuality. Women are shamed through needing to be the good girl, needing to be play a certain role. But then there's also, um, so we spoke about men uh, in this time of confusion. Men are often shamed for not being... Um, someone was talking about this recently and it talks about you say every other man does this but you don't do this mm. um you're not a real man you know um a real man would do this or man up or all these kinds of like grow a parent all these kind of things um and i've seen there's some uh, research about um problems in in relationships and and and, and so on and underneath a lot of it is um you know comments of shame that it's when men feel shame they become violent become abusive or they shut down or or whatever um yes yeah, so so is this something um i don't know if that's something that you can talk about
0: um i absolutely believe everything that you just said um, that and again, we're living in and through a time where things are changing really rapidly and where it can be really confusing. Um, we are learning through both um, personal experience and through research that there is a, a spectrum of gender. There, there is not just absolutely female and absolutely male. The the statistics for people who are born intersex are changing drastically. Um, it used to be believed, oh, I may not remember these numbers. Um, I think it used to be that uh, they thought that one in 1,700 people was born intersex. But now, but that was just based on people who had um, some external genital characteristics of both the male reproductive and the female reproductive organs now, as they do more research into like the genetic markers and and I 'm not a scientist, so I may get some of these words wrong, but um, the internal uh organ organ structures and the the genetics that they're revising those estimates down to something close to one in 100 people are born intersex meaning that they have some characteristics of both male and female bodies biologically Hmm. not to mention that um you know The trans community is becoming much more visible uh, and that people who are maybe it's becoming much more visible that there are heterosexual men who have very feminine qualities. There are heterosexual women who have very masculine qualities. And then there are people all across the gender and sexuality spectrum who mix those up all over the place. So we're moving away from a time that's very binary, that says females are female and they cook and they clean and they make babies. And males are male and they go out and they make the money and they, you know. They fix the car and they do the masculine stuff. And we're seeing that, that there's this whole spectrum and you could, uh, you could land anywhere on the spectrum and that, that there are multiple spectrums, spectra. I'm not sure what that word is. But um, there's a sexuality, which means who are you attracted to? there's a gender meaning what gender do you identify with and then there's also a romantic which is who do you choose to spend your life with and like i was saying before it's it, it is becoming more known that our romantic spectrum and our sexuality spectrum are not necessarily always in lockstep for like i was explaining I am bisexual on the sexuality spectrum but I'm closer to heterosexual on the romantic spectrum. Not to say that I am 100% heterosexual because I'm not. I've had relationships with women and I would not rule that out in the um, you know mm. in the future. But I am I am further down the heterosexual spectrum when it comes to my romantic partnerships than I am when it comes to my sexual engagements. Okay,
1: and and that seems to be um, like women are more fluid um, and tend to um, statistically um, are more tend to be more bisexual, more open um, to. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I I have curiosity about that because that is stated as sort of a given, and I wonder as we get further into this era of there being more options and being more openness, you know, if twenty years down the road those statistics will also begin to shift, as men see that it is possible. To engage in in less hetero to engage further down the spectrum in terms of heterosexual Hmm. versus homosexual, Um, because I have to say that um, I don't want to out anybody in particular, but even the the men who I have. Um, talk to and engaged with who would call themselves 100% heterosexual. When I ask them, have you ever dreamt about another man? Have you ever thought about having a sexual encounter with another man? The answer is usually yes. Now, I don't know that just having the dream necessarily means that they're going to engage in it. But I wonder if there are more... Um, uh if there's more interest in that direction than men currently feel like they're allowed to express or admit to it'll be interesting i have no idea what the answer is
1: yeah i mean it's quite possible i mean i'm in the uk um and so our main sport is soccer what you would call soccer Mm -hmm. and um there there is from time to time a, a big issue like there's no known i don't think there's no like big star player that's known to be gay. Uh, I don't think he, I don't think there's uh, a player who's openly gay, um, you know, in any of the, the main leagues. So, um, and that's, and clearly there are, um, there's (laughs) there's people that have, have, you know, come out later, but it's, it's, you know, they talk about, you know, they're, they're being so much, um, you get so much abuse and, and so on that that it's just not, they don't feel safe enough to come out. Um, I mean, my, my, my basis is, is from reading, um, research where, where they've measured people, um, man and, uh, male and female looking at, um, different types of porn and, uh, they, they monitored more response from female, like equivalent to, to with another woman to, to with a man, sure. whereas the, uh, men didn't have that response. But, you know, maybe that's, that only gives an indication there's, there's more um, gradients to it. So possibly that will be come out later. Definitely, I think there is because because of the shame issue of of you've got to be a man you've got and the masculinity i think um that may stop a lot of people
0: yeah
1: um so um yeah but the 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 question that i have though is so i've talked to, to lots of women and, and and women are kind of like sort of fed up with relationships with men they're like i just wish i was gay you know i just wish i found a, a woman attractive but
0: <laughs> it's no easier <laughs>
1: Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm but there does seem to be, you know, and i have talked to, to women who have had experiences and have are interested in, in women, but it's a, it's like a curiosity. It's like, it tends to be, it's more of an experience that they want to have than a relationship, you know, a long-term relationship. So there seems to be something that women are looking for, from men in that kind of masculine energy. Um, And I I, I don't know if you have answers of what they're kind of looking for or, you know, or say for example, a woman that's like yourself as interested in women as men sexually, but in terms of the relationship, there's a clear preference for that masculine energy and whether that energy is, I, I mean, I don't know, that may be just the personal thing of wanting to be in a relationship where you can, be more feminine. Um, so I I don't know if you have
0: anything, you know, I really don't, I think, um, each one of us is going to fall at different places on that spectrum and that it might change at different times in our lives. There were definitely times in my life when I felt like I just wanted to be surrounded by feminine energy. Hmm. And then right now, you know, I feel like I want to be surrounded by masculine energy. So I don't have any grand insight into this other than, you know, the understanding that everybody has their own unique story and, um, and how I have experienced my own.
1: Hmm. Okay. Um, So, so picking up, you're talking about your journey and uh, we kind of left off when you were having all these wild experiences And I'm interested, like how, so that must feel like a kid in a sweet shop where you can just like satisfy every desire and you um, meet every curiosity. And and I'm thinking there's probably lots of people in relationships um, and they're thinking, well, you know, I'm in this relationship and we're having a bit of trouble. Look, I could be out here having all these experiences. Um, So I'd like to know, what were those experiences like, like, what were the, um, what did it teach you? What was it like to be able to, to, to just have this desire and, and meet mm-hmm. it? Um, and I'd like to talk about that. Um, yeah, so that, and then I've got, I've got to follow up.
0: Okay. Uh, it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, after a lifetime of feeling really repressed and broken and miserable, it was incredible to have the opportunity to um, play and have fun. and, And it's not that I experienced every wild and crazy fantasy that I've ever had. It's that I took, at each moment, I thought, what is the next thing that I want to experience? And then I went and I sought that. Um, so there are still plenty of things I've never done, you know, like, because they haven't come up yet. I didn't say I'm going to do everything. I said, I'm going to do the next thing. And, and by the way, I was working with an amazing coach through this whole thing. And, and so having somebody who I could bounce all of this off of and say, okay, here's, here's what, you know, I went on this date and I had this experience and here's what I think I've learned. Now, can we sort of pull that apart and, and see if there's more that I need to get out of this? And then what is the next thing that I want to do? Having that person accompany me through the journey was invaluable. I don't think I would have been able to do it without her. Um, so, what did I learn? I learned that it's okay. I mean, really, that's what I learned. It, it's okay. All of it. All of it is okay. There is no desire that is too weird. That literally, no matter what it is you are dreaming about, no matter what your fantasy is, no matter what your kink is, there is somebody who wants to engage in that with you. As long as you aren't hurting someone without their consent, there is somebody who wants to engage with you. Um, Now, like you said, there are going to be people listening to this who are inside committed relationships and thinking, but I don't have the opportunity to do that. So, What I would say to them is, but inside your relationship, you have the opportunity to explore deeper than you are right now. I mean, most of us, when we've been in a relationship for more than, what, six months, a year, we tend to fall into some habits sexually, you know, we we start the same way, we do the same thing, we finish. And then, you know, either we cuddle or we watch TV or we get a sandwich or whatever. But like we have, we have a routine that we go through. And one of the things that I really advocate for is for couples to start talking about what their desires are um, so that they can Break out of that routine and experience uh, and explore some new things and experience some new adventures. Just because you're in a committed relationship does not mean that your sexual adventures have to be over, not by a long shot, but you do have to be brave enough to start a conversation. And let me tell you, that is. Brave territory that can be really, really scary when you think, "Oh, my relationship looks like this, and if i do if I say or do anything to destabilize it, I have no idea what will happen that's brave territory, and you know that's that's part of what I do is work with people going through that process so that they can they can expand and explore while also not blowing up their relationship
1: Hmm. yeah I I mean I I think um, I think that we have desires we have things that we want and and I look at the the things that we want as being a symbol really Um, and it's something that um, what we really want is experience what we really want Underneath that experience is a sense of growth. Mm. Um, And I think that our desires are really, it's not really about, um, you know, like sexually we might just want to freeze some or we might want to go to a sex party or or one of these things. But really what it's about is there's something underneath that. Um, And there's something underneath that that you need to work through um, but that is the symbol that represents a kind of a state you know maybe it's it's a sense of adventure maybe it's a sense of exploration it's a sense of openness or connection or something but i think it's there's a, something underneath um the experience so um yeah and, I, and I, I think when you don't when you don't express it if you don't um Accept it um, and you just repress it, then what's going to happen is it's is going to build up, build up, build up, and it's going to become that's where it either becomes like perverted or it becomes some uh, like uh barrier that kind of stops you from being the person that you really are and, and as happy as you as you can be.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't love the word perverted in terms of sexual experiences because it suggests that there are some things that are wrong or are are bad. But I totally agree with you that if there are things that we're not expressing, they they turn into resentment and eventually they turn into crisis. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: What 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 I meant by perverted really is is the sense of when we have a desire and I, and I'm thinking my kind of orientation was, is not particularly sexually, but it's, it's like, there's something that we want. And I look at it as like being like a, a plant and the plant heads towards the light. And then when it's blocked, it just grows out of shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, the reason I use that is not so much in, in terms of judging sexual, sexual desires or whatever, but it's, it's about the thing that we really want comes up and shows out in another way. And so, um, if you look at, uh, ways that people play out, the the ways that people exhibit, um, behaviors that kind of aren't healthy or productive, it's, it's because there's some repressed desire. Uh, So, so it's kind of, yeah, not in, in terms of judging sexuality. Um, okay. So, so you've gone on this wild spree. And I'm really interested in this because um, I think a lot of people, as you say, they're getting bored, they're getting ruts, they're bored, and they're kind of like, well, I could be, you know, and so for a lot of people, when they get that liberation from a new relationship. So I'm I'm thinking of, uh, are you familiar with Neil Strauss? No. Okay. He's he's a brilliant writer. Um, and he wrote, he was a journalist and he wrote a book, uh, I think it's called the game. And basically he was, um, this journalist and he, he was very nerdy and he, he wasn't very, um, good with girls. Um, and he, I think he did an article or something on, on this whole pickup community and he went deep into it and he learned all these kind of, um, uh, techniques and, and whatever. And, and he developed confidence and all this kind of thing. And so he, he then went from this nerdy kid to who couldn't get a girl to, um, this stud who could get girls everywhere. Uh-huh. Um, and so, so the book of the game was about how he developed and how he got that, um, confidence and skill. Um, but then he wrote a follow-up book, um, the truth, and I think this is really interesting because this is similar. So he starts off and he's got like this dream model girlfriend and it's everything he ever wanted. And she's perfect. She's really loving and kind. And, and then he's cheating on her. And he's okay. um, he's like, well, why am I cheating on her? She's everything I want. And, um, and it was just this whole thing of like, he'd got into this mentality and it was like, because he could have every woman he wanted every woman um, and anyway, they broke up and um, he went on this um, sex spree and he, he explored polyamorous relationships. He got into swinging, um, went to sex parties, did all these kind of things. Um, and then essentially he, he was like, well, that's not making me happy. You know, this isn't making me happy. This isn't making me happy. Um, and then the, he was like, well, actually what I really want is the monogamous relationship, um, and that seems similar to to your experience where I think I think we're all interested um, and we all have you know desires for sexual experience, but I think ultimately what most of us want is that connection and we want that commitment with the one person um, so i'm 'm interested in, in Uh, Do you have a a view on that, or or is that not something you've...
0: Yeah, so um, I have a couple different thoughts about what you just said. One is that I think it's really important to acknowledge that not everybody is sexually motivated, and not everybody is romantically motivated, Um, that there are a, a fairly sizable chunk of people who... And here's another spectrum who are somewhere on the asexuality spectrum, meaning that they're not particularly interested in sex. And this is another community that has been deeply stigmatized. Like there's something wrong with you. If you don't want sex or you're just fooling yourself or, oh, you must've had such a huge trauma in your childhood that that makes you not want sex. And it's not actually true that um, there, there are people who are simply not wired to be to be seeking sexual encounters. Um, there, there is also um, some of them are also aromantic, not necessarily looking for a romantic entanglement. Some are asexual, but they are romantic and they want that um, that real commitment and um, experience of a deeply Fulfilling relationship, emotional, romantic relationship with somebody, but they're not interested in the sexual component of it. All of this is totally, totally normal. And so um, I want to be careful about saying everybody is wired for sex because it's not actually true. Um, as far as looking for uh, commitment with a single person, um, there are a lot of people in the polyamorous community who would who would argue that point really hard. Um, they would say that I have many loves. I am capable of loving many people and having relationships with many people. And a lot of, you know, my community includes a lot of polyamorous people. So I see a lot of these people making these relationships work. So, um, so I'm not going to say that everybody is wired for a single romantic commitment. What I will say is that I think that we are all searching for fulfillment and connection and that everybody has a slightly different version of what that might look like. You know, for some people, fulfillment and commitment is going to look like a single partner for the rest of their lives. For some people, fulfillment and commitment will look like a series of partners, of committed partners, um, what we call serial monogamy. For other people, that's going to look like um, polyamory or maybe having a stable and committed primary relationship and but also having it be open to other sexual experiences and that helps those people to feel really like they're getting all of their needs met and they have a stable committed and fulfilling primary relationship so i i think we are wired for connection i don't think that there is one quote unquote normal way that that connection looks, I think that there are as many different ways that that connection can look as there are people on the planet, and the goal is to find your match or your matches who share um, who share that desire you know who who have a shared desire with you having a primarily or exclusively monogamous person in relationship with somebody who is exclusively polyamorous, and actually those relationships do exist, and and they can work, um, but it requires a lot of work, and it requires a lot of communication. It's not necessarily a natural fit, um, and if somebody is trying to convince themselves that they are monogamous in order to stay in a monogamous commitment, that can be incredibly painful um so it's it's just what's important what's of primary importance is figuring out what you want and figuring out what's going to serve you in feeling that deep sense of fulfillment and then pursuing that and finding other people who can share in that with you
1: hmm. um yeah if, if i said to everyone i didn't
0: <laughs> it's such a common way that we speak. And yeah. I think it's just really important that we start rewiring our brains and that is only going to happen if we talk about it. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I mean, obviously there are some people that obviously don't want relationships, but I kind of work towards the, the mainstream. Um, and the large majority of people, actually most people, I think there's very few people I see who who really want a polyamorous or who don't. Well, I don't. I deal with relationships. I don't really see people who don't want relationships. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think I feel like everyone is unique, and so that everyone has a different uh, shade and a different different shade of femininity, masculinity, different shade of sexuality and how they identify and whatever. And I feel that, um, I know there's a, there's a push to push against social conditioning, but I feel like if you just, who are, who you are, it doesn't need, you know, you, 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 if you have confidence in that, um, and you're able to express who you are, um, I feel that sometimes the labels are, um, I mean, we need labels to, be able to um like when we're talking we've been talking about you know generally male generally female so so labels are useful in abstract terms but in personal terms i think it's more important just to be clear of what you need what you want and and who you are I totally um, agree. and i think a lot of people get lost in fighting this cause that cause and trying to change people and i know there, there is a problem, there's a problem in prejudice in race, there's a problem in prejudice in um, sexuality in, in all kinds of ways. But it's more, I think, for me, I think it's more about you be who you are, uh, as long as you know who you are, um, and you're able to express that. And as long as no one stops you from being that, I think people can get lost in a lot of fighting for the label
0: I agree with you and and the reason that I think conversations like this are so important is that a lot of people don't realize that there are any options other than the social conditioning and so having these conversations hopefully someone has just listened to that little explication of you know sexuality versus romanticism and is suddenly like oh my god I never have heard anybody talk about that. That's me. That's what I hope to do by having these conversations is Mm. to say, there are options beyond what you have learned. And if you hear that option, then maybe suddenly you're like, Oh, I finally understand this thing that has never made sense to me. That made me feel like I was wrong or broken.
1: Mm. Yeah. that's Um, and it's also, I've seen this, um, some evidence and and some work going on on on, you know that it's accepted that we all have sex drives but there's also a romantic drive um and the two are separate Mm -hmm. so okay um so i'm interested i've been interested in your journey and now in your work in helping other people um we talked about the, the the big one is overcoming this whole conditioning and this shame and and all this and accepting what you yeah. want. What are the other issues that you, you deal with that you mainly see?
0: So I call myself a sexual communication coach because what I have realized over the last few years is that communication is kind of my superpower. <laughs> you know, like that is what I do really, really well. And so I work with people to... Um, f- Again, going back to what is it that you want? A lot of people are going to start by saying, "I don't know," and so our the very beginning of our work is really exploring. So, what is that? What excites you? Um, I, you know, I've created this uh, this document that I use with my clients called the Yes No Maybe Checklist. This is excuse me. This is something that the BDSM community has used for a long time how to um, talk about the various activities that are possible and what are the things that both, um, both people in this kink relationship are interested in. But there are very few that are developed for the, the quote-unquote vanilla community, people who are just sort of trying to figure out what it is they want so i you know i use these lists and other tools to to really start people thinking about what is it that you desire and with the understanding that your list today may look very different two years down the road and that's fine but we need to start with where you are today and then learning about how to communicate those desires to a partner in a way that allows both partners to buy in, you know, showing up in the bedroom and saying, well, I finally, I discovered that I like, uh, what I like spanking and you never spank me, you know, like that's not going to get you the kind of response that you want. So let's figure out how you can present this to your partner so that you have the highest degree of potential to get what it is you want uh, to communicate effectively and get your partner to have buy-in and be like, oh, I really want to do that for you or I really want to do that with you or that's something I'm not comfortable with. Can we do something else? Um, that's, that is the majority of the work that I do, helping people to get comfortable with the idea that there are things that they want and then how to talk about them.
1: And mm. well, that sounds really valuable because I think, I mean, the, the key problem in, in relationships is, is communication because you can, yeah. people think they, um, you know, what you say and what someone hears are two completely different things. <laughs>
0: yes absolutely (laughs) and i have to say you know i just made this sort of tongue-in-cheek comment that communication is my superpower my partner and i have as many communication differences as every other couple um i you know it's this is not a science it is very much an art Mm.
1: okay so um for someone who's listening someone who's um you know, maybe some of the things that you said are, have resonated and they were interested in developing, and exploring sexually. What, who, who would be the kind of ideal client for you? Um, and what would it look, what look like working with you?
0: Hmm. So I primarily work with women and also with couples. And that can be, um, heterosexual or a same-sex couple or anywhere on the gender um, spectrum. Um, And the reason that I don't work with single men is that I, or or with individual men is because I'm not a man. So I don't have insight into the male brain. Um, So it's going to be somebody who is excited to learn about how to communicate. It's going to be somebody who's nervous. I mean, if you show up and you're like, I'm totally confident about working with you, then I'm probably not the right person for you because I'm not going to be pushing you hard enough. You know, like if you, it is appropriate to feel nervous as you walk into this work. Um, And it's going to be somebody who is uh, just wanting more fulfillment in their sexual life, um, feeling like either I'm not getting what I want at all and something needs to change or I'm out or um, I have a really good relationship and I want it to be better or anywhere in between. Um, and I work with people, um, you know, so the beginning is me just sort of learning about what your relationship is history is, what your sexual history is, what, you know, what kinds of things might have happened in the past to, um, to create any sort of blockages for you, trauma, that kind of thing. I am not a trauma coach. Um, If somebody shows up and they are still very much in the trauma and needing to sort through that, I will suggest that you find a a counselor or a a psychologist to work with, because that's, um, that's out of my depth. But um, if you have trauma, that is just most of us do, like that is something that's important to understand and to include in our work together. And then we'll start, you know, we'll start talking about what it is you want. And every, during every session, I'll give homework about like, um, and it, it, it'll look different based on, if somebody's in a committed relationship and working on adjusting how things are going inside that relationship versus somebody who is maybe dating and wanting to, um, wanting to understand how to communicate with potential partners better, uh, obviously the homework for those are gonna look really different. Um, But honestly, the basic conversations are still very, very similar um, because we're still dealing with what's your past, what got you to where you are, what do you want the future to look like, and how do we get there? Um, So homework could be, you know, for somebody who is, um, let's say somebody who's single and who is dealing with fears that, um, that they're not going to be that they're not going to find somebody who's going to be interested in having this conversation with them. Their homework might look like going to, um, you know, a bar or a bookstore or or whatever their social situation is um, and finding three people to have a conversation with. And it doesn't have to end in somebody getting somebody else's number. It just needs to push that boundary a little bit to know that, I'm able to engage with another person and they don't reject me straight off the bat. Um, If somebody's in a committed relationship, then maybe that homework, if let's say um, somebody is in a relationship where they're not having as much sex or as much intimacy as they want, then maybe we talk about, so what are the things you do together? Do you cook together? Okay, so while you're cooking together, um can you find a way to like when you pass by your partner do you do you pat them on the butt (laughs) you know like do you reach over and kiss them on the cheek and if the answer is no then how can we find ways to help you to insert that tiny little bit of intimacy so that you experience what it's like to have that and then we'll build on that over the week. So it's like, it's taking very, very small steps to get to large outcomes.
1: Okay. And, uh, and where could people find you?
0: I am online at leahcary.com, L-E-A-H-C-A-R-E-Y. Um, the podcast is good girls talk about sex. It's on iTunes and Spotify and all the regular podcast, um, distributors. And I also have recently started doing videos on YouTube, whereas the podcast is me interviewing other women about their stories on YouTube. I'm telling my own stories. So uh, you can find that through my website or if you want to go there directly, it's youtube.com forward slash I am Leah Carey.
1: Okay, thank you. Thank you, Leah. It's been fascinating to hear your story and, and your journey and, and the great work that you're doing. I think well, that's really valuable. thank you so much.
0: Thank you for having me. This has been a really fun conversation.
1: Thanks for listening. I'm Rob McPhillips and I'm here to help you navigate your relationships more successfully. Go to relationshipgpsproject.com to find answers to your relationship questions or ask new ones.